Welcome to the Christchurch London podcast. This is a talk from our central London service. To find out about upcoming talks at each of our services, or to listen to other talks, please visit ChristchurchLondon.org. <laughs> the panic on her face as she thought, I might have to preach this. <laughs> I should do that one day. That'd be great. Okay, it's uh, great to be with you. And we are in the third week of our brand new series entitled Prince of Peace, Following Jesus in a Fearful World. And the idea behind this series is this. There are plenty of things in our world right now that can rob us of peace, that can cause us fear or anxiety or, or just make us feel like we are missing out on the good life God created us to enjoy. And yet Jesus is described in Scripture as the Prince of Peace. And one of his most frequent repeated commands is do not fear. And so we want to, through this series, consider how following the Prince of Peace enables us to live out that command, not to fear, but to experience his peace and his presence in all of our lives. And so through this series, we're going to look at a whole range of different subjects about how Jesus fills us with peace in our minds, in our own lives, in our relationships with others, and in our city as a whole. There are going to be some very practical weeks and some weeks more like today where we're just going to think about some big themes a bit more in depth. Today, I want to think about our beliefs, about the things that we think and believe are true and therefore how they affect our lives. And I hope that what I'm going to do today is lay the foundation for a few of the talks that are going to come over the next three weeks uh, from Joel, David, and Tim. And I want to read just two verses at the start from Romans chapter 12, starting at verse 1. Paul writes this, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. So in these verses, Paul makes a contrast between two ways of thinking that result in us living differently. He says, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world. Instead, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And I want to look at those two uh, elements today, starting with the idea of being conformed to the pattern of this world. I think it's fair to say we live in a noisy world. We live in a world full of voices that are seeking to shape and influence us. We are constantly bombarded by voices that are trying to influence our thinking and therefore influence our behavior. And many of these are voices that are external to ourselves. Uh, here's, this is not an exhaustive list, but just a few examples. Uh, the voices of friends and family and their opinions, cultural expectations or norms, advertising and media, literature, education, religion, what I've called the spirit of the age, by which I just mean those kind of cultural feelings that are just everywhere and they affect us, whether it's cynicism or negativity or apathy or whatever it happens to be. Those feelings that sort of sum up what it feels like to live in a particular time and culture. Actually, interestingly, when Paul says, do not be conformed to the pattern of the world, the word translated world actually means age. So it's this kind of stuff. We've got all these external voices that are seeking to shape what we think, what we believe, and therefore how we live. Now, to be clear, not all these voices are bad things. Many of them shape us in positive ways. Right now, I am one of these external voices. I am that bottom one there. I'm sort of speaking as a preacher, hoping to influence something of your thought and behavior today. Hopefully in a good way, that remains to be seen. But I am one of those external voices that is seeking to shape you. Some of them are very, very good indeed. Others of them, not so helpful. But as well as these external voices, we also all have an internal voice. You may not think of it like that, but we do. We have this kind of inner voice inside all of us. For some of us, it's things that we say to ourselves and 
for some of us, it just takes the, the form of sort of emotional cues or prompts or intuitive sort of thoughts that we have. Some of us, it's like we actually have an inner dialogue. There are things that we say to ourselves or things that we wrestle over in our imaginations and in our minds. And like the external voices, our inner voice can be good and it can be bad. It can help us to avoid certain things that are dangerous, but it can also keep us trapped at times if we keep having this narrative that tells us things that hold us back. We can have an inner voice and thought patterns that exacerbate fear in our lives. These inner and external voices all seek to shape our beliefs and our actions, sometimes positively, sometimes negatively. Of all of them, I would put it to you that your internal voice has by far the greatest effect on what you truly believe and how you live. Proverbs 23 says this, As a man thinks in his heart, so he is. And the heart in biblical language is like, it's a sort of picture of the whole emotional, spiritual, and intellectual life of a person. And Proverbs says, what you really believe in your heart affects who you are and what you become. What happens there determines how we act. Your internal voice carries way more weight in what you actually believe and how you live than any of the other external voices. But you have been listening to your internal voice for decades of your life. You've only been listening to me for a comparatively short time. It may feel like decades, it's been four minutes. <laughs> I'm sorry, there's plenty more where this comes from. But look, you are familiar with your internal voice. It's, it's a voice that you have heard for years and years and years. What's more, your internal voice speaks way quicker than I can. I speak pretty fast. When I preach, I probably preach 200 to 300 words a minute. Researchers say that our internal monologue speaks at about 3,000 to 4,000 words a minute. So somewhere between 10 and 20 times faster than I am speaking to you right now. Which means that before I have finished a sentence, your internal monologue might have thought about what I said and talked you out of believing it before I've even finished, before I've even drawn my next breath. You may have thought, oh, that's an interesting point. I wonder if that's true. It's probably not because of X, Y, and Z. This guy's not worth listening to. We might as well go for lunch. I wonder what's for lunch. Like, that's... What, how many of you are thinking, what's for lunch? Honestly, yeah, yeah, a couple, yeah. Yeah, now I am. <laughs> I'm pretty hungry. I forgot to have breakfast this morning. I'm definitely, my inner monologue is screaming at me. But, um, oh, wow, I got some sympathy votes. There you go. So our inner monologue has real power over us. It speaks to us quickly and in a voice that we're really familiar with. And it can shape more than any other voice what we really believe and how, therefore, we act. If an advertiser were to put up a billboard, just blank text, nothing else, it just said, look, come on, just buy my product, give me your money so we can both move on with our day. Like you're not going to buy that. You're just going to dismiss that as an external voice that you don't want to listen to, right? So advertisers and communicators know the best way to get you to buy their product or to change your thinking or, or whatever it happens to be is to speak to your inner voice such that you then get yourself to speak to yourself about their product. You know what I mean? Like they tap into us at an emotional level. If an advert can make me feel like, oh, I really need that thing. I've got to get that thing in order to feel fulfilled or whatever, then they win. Because what we internalize and what we speak to ourselves has huge power over us. Which is why Proverbs doesn't just say, as a man thinks in his heart, so he is. It also says, guard your heart because everything you do flows from it. As a man thinks in his heart, so he is. So be careful what you allow to shape your inner life. I think Paul is saying something similar here in Romans 12. He's saying, don't be conformed to the pattern of the world. Don't let certain things shape you into their mold so that you believe what they tell you and act accordingly. Rather, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. 
And what Paul is talking about here is not just an idea he just pops up in chapter 12 out of nowhere. It actually goes right back to how he starts the letter in Romans 1. And Romans 1 is a bit of a tricky passage. So bear with me on this. This is the difficult. Well, actually, the next bit's difficult as well, but in a different way. But Romans 1, uh, let me summarize it like this. Paul essentially says the heart of the human problem is to do with worship. He says that all of us were made in the image of God. That is, we were made like in the pattern of God, as it were, bearing something of his nature. We were made in his mold, and we were designed to find fullness of life by living according to his pattern. But Paul says each of us almost has this kind of, this kind of deep level connection to our creator. Deep down, we know him. But what we do is we suppress what we know about him, and we try and live life without him. So he says, although they, that is humanity, knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the creator. The heart of the human problem is one of worship. Although humanity knows deep down that we were made by God and designed to find fullness of life in him, we instead try to do life without him and we prioritize other voices over his voice. We allow other voices to shape our sense of identity and life more than the voice of God does. And consequently, Paul says we become futile in our thinking. He says just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over to a worthless, the Greek word is adokimos, a worthless mind, so they do not do, uh, they, sorry, they do what ought not to be done. That is, when we allow ourselves to be shaped not by God's voice, but other voices, when we give them priority of place in our life, essentially our worship, they shape our thinking so it becomes worthless. It becomes incapable of discerning the truth about God, ourselves, and the world around us. And so we are now unable to live the good life God created us for. We are conformed to the pattern of the world more than the pattern of God. Are you with me? So if you were to ask Paul, what is the fundamental human problem? He said it's a problem of worship. We have given other voices way more power over us than the voice of God. Misdirected worship leads to a worthless mind. But Paul doesn't say, well, that's it. You know, if that's, that's how it is, you just game over. <laughs> There's nothing you can do about it. He says, don't continue to be trans conformed that way. Instead, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And he starts by saying, I urge you to offer your bodies as living sacrifices. This is your true and proper worship. Why does he start with worship? It's because the problem started with worship. Paul says the answer, if you want to live the life you were created to, the answer is to get your worship right, to worship God as you were intended to. And there you will find the fullness of life for which you were created. Worship God. Put him back at that place of primary influence in your lives. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now notice he doesn't say, Worship him so that you will receive his mercy. Other way around. He says, you have received his mercy, primarily through the death and resurrection of Jesus. And we'll come back to that in a minute. In view of his mercy, now give your life to him and you will be changed by him. Then he says, you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. And that word approve is the Greek word dokimatso, which comes from the same word we saw in Romans 1. So there, Paul says, by misdirecting our worship and listening to these other voices, allowing them to shape our identity, we have become worthless in our thinking. 
When we put God back in the place of worship, he renews our minds so that we are then able to live the life he created us to live. That's why we've got to renew our minds, to get back on track by putting God back in that central place of worship. So what does this look like practically? How do we learn to renew our minds or have our minds renewed? Well, I want to suggest two things that each of us needs to do. And the first is this. We need to hear the voice of God. That is, we need to know what God says about us more than what anything else, ourselves included, say about us. If we want to put God back in that place of primary influence, we need to trust what he says about us and our identity more than what we feel about ourselves or what any other voice tells us. Let me ask you this question. How much time in your week is given over to hearing what God says over you rather than giving these things airtime over your thoughts? How much time in your week do you reflect on God's voice over you compared to the airtime you give to these voices? I think it's essential that we know regularly, daily, what God says about us, how he is instructing us to live. If the only time you ever reflect on God or your relationship with him is 90 minutes on a Sunday, which, let's be frank, also contains notices, <laughs> then that is going to limit, great though they were, Nengi, <laughs> that is going to limit your ability to genuinely be shaped by the voice of God. If 90 minutes a week is all you give it, then that means for six days, 22 hours and 30 minutes of your life, you are being shaped more by these things than by what God actually says. We need to make space in our days to hear what God says about us. We need to make space for his voice to cut through. Let me give you an example. Whenever I go and preach in Bethnal Green, I get out of the tube and I go up the escalator and there's this piece of art that I travel past. And some of you may have seen it. If you don't go that far east, it's also at uh, Notting Hill Gate as well. So you may have seen it there and probably other stations as well. It's a piece by Heather Philipson. And each panel of it going all the way up the escalator has a caption and a picture. And it's quite bleak, a little bit stark, but actually it preaches a message to us that is no different from what we hear in many other voices in our secular society. This is what it says. Oh, mother, it's that time of day when I realize I'm an animal. I'm a salivating, spasming, excreting, bleeding, foul-breathing, nasal-dropping, belching, self-exfoliating, itching, crying, sweating, discharging, odor-making, pimple-forming, follicle-pricked piece of meat. I'm no more important than this fruit. I'm microbial. I'm a downloaded egg, a gibbering omelet, a quivering splodge of protoplasm. If you'd like to buy a piece of that art to put up in your house, <laughs> I wouldn't recommend it. But I, I go past that every time I go to Bethnal Green. I come out of the station. I walk the 20 yards or so to the front of the building. I go inside and then for 90 minutes, I sing songs about the love of God. And I sing about how much he loves me, how he is my father, who has a purpose for me. And I hear how I am fearfully and wonderfully made. And I hear that he has plans to use me and he set me free from old habits. And he sees me as precious in his sight. And if that is the first time that week that I have thought about those things, what God says about me, then chances are they will just bounce off me. Why? Because the rest of my week, six days 22 hours and 30 minutes, I am being shaped to think of myself as less than what God says. 
So one of two things happens. Either I sing those words and I hear those words spoken and I just think, that's not true and I reject them. Or more likely, I agree with them up here and then I go back out and down the escalator and I see that again and back into a world that preaches a different message from the one God speaks over me and which one do you think is going to win out at the end of the day? We need to hear the voice of God, not just on a Sunday, all the way through our lives. Can I encourage you daily to reflect on what God says over you, to read his word, to make a habit of letting that shape your own identity and how you live. Read the Bible, treasure the promises he makes. And don't just read it and go, okay, great, I understand this now. Pray it as well. Take it to God in dialogue and say, Lord, how do you feel about me? How do you want me to live? What is there in my life that is wrong that I need to stop doing or get out of? What is there that's good that I need to pursue? How does this affect my relationships, my family, my work, my, my future, my planning? Allow God's voice to shape you. We need to give him airtime. That's how we begin to be conformed, not to the world, but to his image, to be transformed in our thinking. But the second thing we need to do is this. We don't just need to believe, uh, hear God's voice. We need to believe God's voice. And this is actually harder. We can all make time in our lives. We can have five minutes to read the Bible, five minutes to pray or whatever. We can find that time. But that time will not help us if all we do is just hear God's voice. We also need to believe it, really believe it at a deep level. It is possible to know plenty of things that God says about you, but never really live in the good of them if we don't believe them in our innermost being. Let me give you an illustration. In 1602, Spanish explorers uh, set off and, uh, to travel around the coast of America. And as they came past California, they were documenting their journey. I don't know how they do that. I really don't know how. But somewhere along the lines, they recorded something incorrectly that gave them the impression that California was not actually a peninsula attached to mainland America, but stood alone as an island. I don't know how. I mean, clearly you can't circle around it, but somehow they just got lazy and thought, we've gone half the way. I'm sure it's an island. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. Those crazy Spanish people. So they wrote this in their journals. And, and because of the mistake they made, however they made it, maps started to be drafted showing California not as a peninsula, but as an island. In fact, it became known as the island of California. And all this sort of mythology came up about it being like a new Eden and this beautiful place. And it had an island identity. In fact, I was talking to Nate this morning. He's like, Californians still think of themselves as being an island separate from everyone else. But it's simply not true. By the late 1600s, a group of Jesuit missionaries traveled to California. They sailed there, probably arrived somewhere in the south, and then they traveled through preaching the gospel. When they got to the north of the island of California, suddenly famine hit the island and they had to retreat and go back to Mexico. So they made their journey back and were suddenly like, hang on, we've done this without crushing a sea. What happened? And they realized this is not an island at all. And in their documents, you had the first conclusive proof that California was not actually an island, but a peninsula. So people started to explore this. By the 1700s, the early 1700s, many, many people had gone and checked this out and verified it. There was tons of conclusive proof. Yeah, California is not an island. It is attached to mainland America. But for the next 100 years, they continued to make maps that depicted it as an island, not a peninsula. Despite the fact they knew that was not the case. They had access to all the evidence, and yet it was too difficult for them to make the mindset shift to change how they saw the identity of this island. And so they just carried on living and acting in a way they knew not to be true. Isn't that odd? And yet, I think I do that all the time. 
And I think you do that all the time. I think it is way too easy to know things, to believe things, to be confronted with a whole load of facts and to go, yeah, okay, hands up. I know that is true and yet choose to live differently. Why? Because it's hard to shift your identity. When you've thought of yourself one way for years, it's hard to make that shift. In fact, it's easier to carry on living a lie than to accept the truth and really live in the good of it. I think we do that all the time with faith. We do that all the time with spirituality. It is so easy to believe things up here that God says about us, to hear his word, to know the verses, and yet really not internalize them to the point that they make a difference in the way that we live. There's this tragic story in Exodus chapter 6 where the people of God have been enslaved in Egypt for hundreds of years. And God has heard their, pr their prayers and their cries, and he sends Moses to tell them they're about to be set free. And it's this beautiful, liberating message. This is the message that Moses takes to them. He says, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will deliver you from slavery to them. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people and I will be your God and you shall know that I am the Lord your God who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will bring you into the land I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord. That's the most beautiful, liberating message you could possibly hear. Yet what did they do? How did they respond? It says, Moses spoke thus to the people of Israel, but they did not listen to Moses. Why? Because of their broken spirit and harsh slavery. They had been so crushed by their circumstances, so fixed and locked into a slave mentality, that when the God of all creation says, I am coming, I am going to break you forth, I have got a hope and a future for you, I am going to break you free, they can't receive it. They can't not think of themselves as slaves. And so they don't receive the message of liberation from God. And if you're anything like me, I read stories like that and I think, how did these guys not get it? Did they not know the incredible things God has done? Why did they not listen to him? Why didn't they trust him? As if I would be any different. The fact of the matter is I'm no different. And I would suggest that neither are you. All of us hear the words of God at times and we kind of nominally go, yeah, that's, that's great. And yet we don't get it deep down to us so that it changes our identity. So many of us get fixed in this kind of slave mentality that we don't ever go into the fullness of freedom that God has for us. We don't dare to believe that his word might actually be true and powerful in our lives. It is so easy to read scripture and go, that's great. And then the inner voice comes and it says, that might be true of some people. It's not true of you. You could never be that. You will always be that. God could not do that in you. God could not do that through you. And so we stay trapped in a slave mentality rather than coming into the fullness of freedom that God has for us. Hebrews 4 makes the point we are no different. He compares us to the generation of Moses. And it says that good news come to us just as to them, but the message they heard didn't benefit them. Why? Because it did not meet with faith in the hearers. That is, they heard the message. They understood the message. They knew what God was saying, but they didn't connect with it at a faith level that made it real and living and active in their lives. And so it just bounced off them. And the danger is we can do exactly the same. You know, the gospel, the good news at the heart of the Christian faith is that Jesus Christ has initiated the greatest rescue plan you could ever imagine. He came to earth and lived a life like we live, in a world that we live, and he took upon himself 
every enemy that keeps us enslaved. He took upon himself at the cross all of our shame, all of our guilt, all of our failure. He took it all upon him. Every enemy that keeps us enslaved, guilt, sin, shame, evil, and death itself, he took it all upon himself at the cross, and he died the death that we deserve as the logical outworking of our rejection from God and our allowing ourselves to be conformed in the way of the world. He died that death in our place, and then he rose again from the dead. This is the great rescue plan of God. The good news of Christianity is that in Jesus, we are free and we are forgiven. And all you have to do is believe that, receive it by faith. Hear the message and believe it is true of you. And then you get united with Jesus in his death and in his resurrection. Your old self is gone and you have a newness of life available to you. You are no longer defined as a slave of sin with a futile mind. You are a son or a daughter of God. You are loved and accepted by him. You are his prized possession. We are free. This is the greatest news you could possibly hear. And yet what many of us do with that message is we believe it up here. We respond to it. We put our hands up to it. We say yes. And we receive the salvation that comes. But then we don't bring it deep into us so that it affects us every day of our lives. What we need to do is not just hear that and go, yeah, I want to respond to that once. We need to respond in faith and make that a part of our lives every single day. That's what it means to renew your mind. It means not to believe of yourself as you used to be, to define yourself as you used to be defined, but to believe what God says is now true of you. So Paul says, I urge you. It's not like I, I encourage you, if you have time, if you fancy it. It's like, I urge you, brothers and sisters, because Paul loves these people. He knows what's at stake. There is stuff, there is freedom that you are missing out on if you fail to think of yourself as God thinks of you. I urge you, give yourself to him in worship. In view of his mercy, he says. Because of the mercy of God, everything changes. If you are in Christ, your core identity is not that you are a sinner or a slave. You are free. You are a saint. You are a son and daughter of the living God. You are no longer a slave to sin. You are free. That's not to say that you won't ever sin or that you won't ever feel tempted. You will mess up regularly, I am sure, as I do. But it means that at your core identity, you are not trapped and enslaved to sin. It has no power over you. God has set you free. That is good news. Romans says this, your old self was crucified with Christ. I want you to say that with me. Say, I have been crucified with Christ. Romans 6 says, you are dead to sin. Say, I am dead to sin. Like, you can't be partially dead, a little bit dead. You're dead or you're not dead. You're dead or you're alive. If you are dead to sin, you are completely changed. That's as final as it gets. I am dead to sin. Say that again. 2 Corinthians 5, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Say, I'm a new creation. The old is gone. Say, the old is gone. The new has come. Now, say it like you mean it and you're happy about it. <laughs> say, the old is gone, the new has come. It was for freedom that Christ set us free. Say freedom. freedom. It was for freedom that Christ set us free. Who the Son sets free is free indeed. Say, I am free indeed. I am free. Romans 8 says, those who are led by the Spirit of the God are children of God. Say, I am a child of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you a slave. Say, I am not a slave. 
The Spirit does not make you slaves so you live in fear. Rather, the Spirit you receive brought about adoption to sonship. Say, I have been adopted by God. If we are children, we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. Say, I am an heir of the promises of God. And we could go on for hours, but we won't. Like, the mercy of God changes everything. Everything is changed by the cross of Jesus. It is foolishness to carry on thinking of yourself in a way that God doesn't see you. It is foolishness. You have been changed. You are a new creation. In view of God's mercy, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Allow what God says about you to change your core identity so that you live as he sees you. There is a new quality of life available to us. Eternal life is not just something you get to experience when you die. The good news about Christianity is not if you just believe a couple of things, when you die, you'll be safe. It's that there's a quality of life available now that includes freedom from the power of sin, that includes renewed hope and identity and an experience every day of the love of God through the Holy Spirit. Paul says, I urge you, be transformed in the renewing of your mind. Now, maybe this is all new to you. Maybe you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus. And maybe you've got a load of questions about this. It may be that you've been thinking, I long to get to know this God. I just don't know how. Or maybe you suspect that he couldn't or wouldn't love you or be interested in relationship with you. Maybe you feel trapped by shame or habits that you can't break and you think God could never want relationship with me. The good news is this. God loves you with a love that drove him to the cross to make the biggest sacrifice he could possibly imagine so he could have relationship with you. And if you would like to begin following Jesus today, I would love to help you with that. And in a couple of minutes' time, we will be able to pray a prayer. I'm going to ask everyone to pray it together. But if you would like to begin following Jesus, that can be a great first step. And I invite you to pray that as we close in a couple of minutes' time. And you may want to just think now, is today the day? Maybe you've been reflecting on this for a while, grappling with questions about the Christian faith, but you've never entered into a relationship with Jesus. You can do that today. You can experience the newness of life he has to offer. But it may well be that actually you're here, and this is probably the the largest camp in the room today, and you've been following Jesus for years. But there may be areas of your identity where you really struggle to believe what God says about you. Maybe you're more prone to think about what you say about you, what you've just got used to saying about you over decades, what your internal voice says, what the external voices say. Maybe even as I asked you to read out those things earlier, there were some that you're like, oh, I just don't know that I really believe that. Or maybe there were some that you're like, yeah, I do believe that. And then your inner voice talked you out of believing it. We need to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. We need to increasingly hear God's voice and allow it to go so deep that we experience his freedom in every area. It is not easy, but it is the way that we get to live the life we were created for. Paul says when we get transformed by the renewing of our minds, then and only then will you be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. I know it doesn't always feel like I am as free as the Bible tells me to. I know it doesn't always feel like my old self is as dead as dead can be. I know from my own life, I don't always feel as much of a new creation as I would like to. But what I do with that gap between what I feel and what scripture says is not that I go, well, the gospel can't be as powerful as Jesus promised, therefore I'll just expect a bit less. What I've got to do is say, Lord, I'm on a journey and I want to be renewed every day of my life to become more like you. And so even though right now this feels like distant, I'm going to believe 
that when you came out of that grave and defeated sin and death, they're dead. They're gone. They're disempowered. And I choose to think of myself as you think of me. I want your voice to be the one that shapes me. So I choose to connect faith with your words. And I ask you, Holy Spirit, would you help me to change my thinking? Allow it to become part of your own inner voice. Speak it to yourself. The psalmist does this again and again. Says to his soul, do not forget the promises of God. Do not forget the benefits of God. We can do that. We allow it to become part of our internal narrative. It shapes who we think we are. It changes who we become. That's why I asked you to say those things out loud earlier. I know the introverts within you were probably like, that was the most horrible thing you've ever asked me to do and I probably won't come back to this church. I'm very sorry if that is the case. But I think there is power in speaking things out, in taking these words and praying them and saying, God, I can't renew my own mind in my own strength, but Holy Spirit, would you take these words, which I know to be true because you came out of the grave, and would you make them a living reality? Would you help me to walk in the freedom that you've promised? This is how we begin the process of renewing our minds. And it's not something we have to do alone. It's something we do with the power of the Spirit. And it's something we do in community as well. And if you know that there are things about your identity where you struggle to believe what God says about you, maybe it was some stuff we talked about earlier, maybe it's some stuff we sung about earlier, maybe it's something we've not even touched on at all, but you've read in Scripture and you just can't line up with your own life, ask for help. We are in this together. And it is brilliant to be able to talk with one another, identify the areas where we're struggling to see ourselves as God does, and then pray that the Holy Spirit would empower us. And if you know you need help to receive freedom, or to enjoy the freedom that Jesus has won for you, then ask for help. We would love to help you in any way we can. We'll have an opportunity to pray in a moment. We have a pastoral support team who you can email, pastoralsupport at christchurchlondon.org. We'd love to help you. We run a brilliant course called Steps, which is a 12-step process to help you to walk in freedom from things that would have kept you enslaved otherwise. Reach out for help from others and from the Holy Spirit. So I wonder if the band can come back up. Paul tells us, In view of God's mercy, what do we do? Give ourselves to him in worship. Put him back in that central place of influence in our lives. Believe what he says over us. That's how we get renewed in our mind. So that's what we're going to do right now. We're going to come back to worship and we are going to sing a song called No Longer Slaves, which explores something of the freedom that God has got for us. But before we do that, I'm going to give you a moment to pray. And we're going to pray in two ways. Firstly, I'm going to ask us all to pray a prayer together. In fact, maybe we can put it up on the screen. I'm going to invite us all to pray this prayer. And you may want to pray it as your first step in following Jesus today. And if you do that, that will be great. But my encouragement to you is don't leave this place without telling anyone. Pray this prayer along with us and then come and speak to the prayer team or talk to a trusted friend. Talk to me at the end. We'd love to celebrate with you and start you off on this journey really well. But it may be that you are already a follower of Jesus, but you know there is stuff in my life where I am struggling to walk in the freedom that God has got for me. This prayer is a great way of just inviting the Holy Spirit to come. Let's all pray this prayer together if you're comfortable in doing so. Lord God, I confess that I have failed to worship you as you deserve, and I have fallen short of the life you created me to live. I believe that you died and rose again in my place. And I put my trust in you. I turn away from my old self. I repent of my sin. And I receive the forgiveness, freedom, and newness of life you offer. I choose to follow you as my Lord and Savior. Would you fill me with your Holy Spirit, renew my mind, and empower me to live in your freedom. Amen.